You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Welcome to episode 45 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I am going to be talking about one of my favorite things to grow in the garden because it has been a little bit of a challenge for me over the years. I'm one of those weird people who likes challenges um, because they make me feel like I'm always learning, and that is growing sweet corn. If you have a larger garden, and you've kind of always thought about corn, but it seemed like kind of a big thing to grow and takes up kind of a lot of space, and you weren't really sure whether or not you wanted to devote the time and space to it, these tips are going to help you feel a lot more confident about growing sweet corn in your garden this year. So that's what we're going to be talking about in today's episode, but first, a word from our sponsor. I'd like to start this episode with a shout out to listener Liddy Jen, who left a really, really kind review for the podcast on Apple Podcast, just talking about how honest I tend to be in terms of expenses and efforts in the garden. It does honestly cost a little bit of money. It obviously depends on how involved you get with it and what level you take it to, but Honestly, nothing is free. So thank you. And also thank you for the very kind comment about my voice, um, about it being calming. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so very much for those lovely comments. I really appreciate it. And by the way, if you haven't had a chance to leave a review for the podcast, I read each and every one, and I definitely take your feedback to heart. Um, I am always looking for ways that I can improve the podcast. If there's certain topics that you'd like me to cover or certain questions you have, please feel free to either leave a review on Apple Podcast or your podcatcher of choice, or you can go to the podcast homepage at anchor.fm backslash grow your own food and you can leave a voice review or a voice question there as well and I will answer it as I am able to. But let's go ahead and talk about tips that I have learned over the years when it comes to growing sweet corn. It's funny because the sister post for this episode on my blog, bnbasil.com, originally started out as five tips, and now it's grown to about 10 tips. So at this rate, in a few more years, I might have like 15 tips. We'll see. So just a good reason to go ahead and visit the website every once in a while. If you're not signed up for my bi-weekly newsletter, I'm always sharing updated posts and sharing little tips there as well. My very first tip for growing sweet corn would be don't get too impatient to plant. I have made this mistake in the past. I have thought, oh, you know, maybe I could get my corn started a little bit earlier and then I can get it out of the bed a little bit earlier and then I can succession plant something else a little bit sooner as a result. Well, 
corn really needs the soil to warm up first. It needs the soil to warm up to about 65 degrees to really germinate properly. Most seeds need, you know, something in the range of 70 to 75 degrees to germinate at the highest rate. So the soil does need to warm to at least 65 degrees. And for me, this is usually around the end of April or the beginning of May. For some of you, it might be earlier. For some of you, it might be later. If you're not sure, a soil temperature gauge is actually a really inexpensive thing that you can purchase on Amazon.com. I have a link to one in the sister post for this episode, and you can find the link to that in the show notes. But let's talk about what happens if you don't wait for the soil to warm up. So the seed will sit there in that cool, damp soil, and instead of germinating, it will start to rot, or it will germinate eventually, but very, very slowly, leading to plants that aren't the strongest, not the hardiest, not the healthiest, and, and might end up leaving you with a less than stellar corn harvest. So, Try not to get impatient, as with all things gardening related. I know it's really hard because you're so excited that spring is here, especially this year, but make sure that you wait for your soil to warm up properly. Now, if you're concerned about the length of your growing season, let's say you have a really short growing season, you live like way up north, like in Canada or something like that. You can get different varieties of corn that mature faster than others. So depending on the variety, corn needs 60 to 90 days to mature. And if you have a shorter growing season and you're worried that you won't have time for the corn to mature, you know what? Look for corn seed that matures faster. And then a little additional tip that I would include is to cover newly planted corn seed with chicken wire or hardware cloth. Because otherwise, birds and squirrels, both of which love corn, will be constantly digging it up. And that is a losing battle you'll be fighting. Honestly, straw is is not enough. What really seems to deter them is that hard, you know, wire netting. That seems to work really well. The second tip for growing sweet corn is to know that corn is a nitrogen hog. So way back when we talked about plants and nitrogen, you know that nitrogen is like one of the main nutrients that plants need in order to grow and produce fruit and and be healthy and survive. Corn is especially bad about hogging up all the nitrogen in the soil. So you can't just plant corn and then leave it for like the rest of the season and expect a really great harvest. Um, You have to do one or more of the following things. So number one, you need to make sure that you have amended your garden soil with plenty of compost or worm castings before you plant your corn seed. And then you need to make sure that you fertilize regularly during the growing season. So once when about the corn is a foot tall, and then again when the tassels show up at the top. That's the male part of the plant that has the corn pollen on it. I use a liquid fertilizer like fish emulsion or liquid kelp. Those are both great. They're both really easy to apply. You 
you can also use something like blood meal. Blood meal is another organic high nitrogen fertilizer that's that's pretty easy. It's kind of like in this granular form and you can kind of just shake it on the soil around the corn plants. I don't recommend really kind of like digging it into the soil because corn does have two sets of roots. We'll get into that here in a little bit, but one of those sets of roots is, is a lot more shallow and if you try to dig that fertilizer in, you could end up damaging the the shallow roots of the corn stalk. Another thing that you can do is the previous fall, you know, so we plant corn at the end of April, beginning of May, you know, six months before that, you can plant a nitrogen fixing what's called a cover crop over the planting area that you're planning on growing your corn in. So something like cow peas, winter peas, um, and clover are all great for this. You know, yes, clover is a weed. You see it in yards all the time, but it is a wonderful nitrogen-fixing plant. It's able to, via the symbiotic relationship with beneficial bacteria in the soil, it's able to kind of capture and process the um, atmospheric nitrogen in the air, which most plants are not able to do. So the last thing that you can do is utilize the space between rows of corn to plant a nitrogen-fixing crop like black beans or pole beans. Just like clover, these these beans are, you know, nitrogen-fixing. They're able to sort of process and make use of the atmospheric nitrogen in the air into a usable format. And it's it's great because corn can't do that. And as an added bonus, the beans, whether they're dried beans like black beans or they're pole beans, um, a variety of green bean, the bean vines will use the corn stalk to climb up and that won't hinder the corn stalk's ability to reproduce. The indigenous people of North America were companion planting beans with corn for this reason a long time before the Europeans got here. It's actually a really, really good partnership. The third tip I have would be to mulch your corn. I would suggest waiting to mulch your corn until the corn plants are about six inches tall. And that's just because you want to allow those corn plants to kind of grow up nice and strong and tall and unimpeded. But like I said, corn has two sets of roots. They have shallower roots and then they have a feeder root that kind of dips down deeper into the soil. And soil can dry out really quickly if it's not mulched, as we kind of all know by now. And it's going to stress the plant, essentially, if the corn's shallower roots aren't kept nice and cool and moist. So we want to make sure that we are mulching around the corn plants for that reason. Now, if you don't want to mulch, another thing that the indigenous peoples of North America did as far as companion planting with corn, in addition to beans, they would also plant squash in between their corn rows. So they would grow kind of beans right up against the stalk and those beans would would climb the corn stalks and then in between the rows they would plant things like acorn squash, butternut squash, pumpkin, especially pumpkin. Pumpkin is native to North America. I don't know if you knew that or not but there's your fun fact for the day. 
And squash has these big, huge umbrella-like leaves that spread out and the vines sprawl out everywhere in between the corn rows. And it just helps naturally shade the soil. So that's kind of a natural mulch. And by the way, this combination of corn, beans, and squash is traditionally called the three sisters. And that kind of system of planting is still used to this day by Native Americans. And I'm actually really excited because for the first time, I'm actually going to have a three sisters bed in my garden this year. I'm really excited about it. If you're not following me on Instagram, go ahead and follow me there at B and Basil and I'll be sharing pictures of it as it kind of progresses throughout the season. My fourth tip for growing corn is that it needs a lot of water, especially super sweet varieties of corn. The sweeter a variety of corn is, the more water it tends to need. Anything that grows really fast, as corn does, is going to need a lot of water. And in the heat of high summer, like we have days that are over 100 degrees Fahrenheit here where I live, a lot of times I will end up watering my corn every day. If you're not sure whether your corn is getting enough water, watch the leaves. The leaves will kind of curl up when the plant is thirsty. Instead of like wilting like a lot of other plants do, corn has really sort of fibrous, thick leaves and stalks, right? If you've ever kind of felt a corn leaf, it's very fibrous. And those leaves have a tendency to kind of curl when the plant is water stressed. So if you notice your plant starting to do that over this growing season, make sure that you start giving it a little bit more water than what you've been doing up to that point. My number five tip would be don't sow sweet corn and popcorn anywhere near each other. If you want to grow both sweet corn and popcorn in the same season, make sure you either have lots of room or you stagger your planting so that they mature at different times. So the reason for doing this is because corn is wind pollinated. That means that pollen from the popcorn can float over and pollinate the sweet corn. And you don't want that because that's going to negatively affect the sweet corn's texture and flavor. So the way that I avoid kind of cross-pollinating my sweet corn and popcorn is I plant my sweet corn in late April or early May, like I mentioned, and then I plant my popcorn in early July in a different bed at the other end of the garden where all of my spring cool weather crops just finished up and I've just pulled them out. So that way there's no chance of cross-pollination, right? So In July, my sweet corn is pretty much ripe. It's almost ready to be picked off the stalk, and my popcorn is just getting started. There's no chance that anything is going to be cross-pollinating. Another benefit of this is that because corn is such a nitrogen hog, I'm not successively planting the corn in the same bed. Then that way I'm not exhausting the soil by planting the corn there twice in one year. Tip number six for growing corn would be either to sow corn in a furrow, stake it, or hill it up. So like I said, corn has two sets of roots, a shallow set of roots and a smaller set of deeper feeder roots. Since the majority of the roots are those shallow roots, when severe summer storms come rolling through, corn stalks can get blown over, especially as the leaves grow larger and the ears form. It makes the corn stalks kind of 
top heavy and easier to blow around. And there is nothing more frustrating than coming out after a good spring storm or summer storm and you're all excited about all the fresh rain that the garden got and you see that your corn stalks are flattened. Sometimes you can prop them back up and stake them at that point and they'll be okay. But it, depending on how much the roots were ripped out of the ground, sometimes you really cannot save your plants. So I think it's really good here to be proactive and figure out a support plan when you plant your corn seeds. So furrow planting is where you dig just like a really shallow trench, like a little miniature ditch for each row of corn. And that gives you the opportunity to fill in more dirt around that corn plant as the stalk grows taller, producing a deeper root system. Hilling is really similar. It's just kind of the opposite. So instead of starting lower down in a furrow, you plant your corn seed and as the plant grows taller, you hill or mound soil up at the base of that corn stalk, creating a deeper root system. The last thing you can do, as I mentioned, is staking, but instead of waiting until after the corn stalks have already been blown over, you stake them in the first place. I have done this since the very first year I started growing corn and I walked out and all my corn stalks, well, half of them were flattened because I didn't know about furrows or hilling or that corn, you know, could be staked because you see it out in fields all the time and it's fine. I'm not sure why that doesn't happen as much to corn out in fields like the ones you drive by. Maybe it's because there's so much corn it creates like a windbreak. Uh, maybe it's just the corn on the outside edges of the field that kind of get flattened and blown around. I'm not sure but I use bamboo stakes and I kind of sink those down into the ground and I use my preferred method of tying things to stakes, which is my reusable Velcro gardening tape. I have a link to that in the sister post for this episode. It's great because it's reusable, but also I can sort of loosen it and, and make that tie looser as the corn stalk grows bigger and thicker around. Because if you don't loosen that tie, it'll start to dig into the stem or the corn stalk and it can eventually kind of injure your plant. Tip number seven, and this is the one that's taken me a while to learn because I kind of just didn't want to admit it to myself, but tip number seven would be to pull up stunted corn stalks. You will notice that when you grow corn and, you know, if you're going to be growing corn in a small garden, you need to be growing it in at least a three by three block, so nine corn stalks, or a four by four block. So 16 corn stalks, because that is going to help with pollination. And I will get to that more in a second. But you'll notice that in your block of corn, some of the corn stalks are only going to get a few feet tall, and then they'll just stop growing. I don't know why it happens, but it does. It happens to me every year. I usually have about one or two that get like this. And if that happens, just pull them up because I can tell you from experience that one, they're not going to catch up to the others no matter how much you feed them. And two, if you leave them in the ground, they're just going to take up valuable nutrients that their stronger, healthier neighbors could have used to create, you know, actual ears of corn. Whereas those short 
stocks are probably never going to produce an ear of corn. And if it does, it's going to be on the very, very small side. So I know it's a bummer. Like I said, I have one or two of these every year. You can always try planting something fast growing in place of it when you rip it up. Something like lettuce or a few more bean plants and still make use of that space. That space does not have to go to waste. Number eight, and this is where we start talking about pollination, is to pollinate sweet corn by hand. So like I said, corn is wind pollinated. So pollen falls from the tassel, which is that grass seed looking thing growing at the top that kind of looks like a ponytail at the top. That's the male part of the plant. Pollen falls from the tassel onto the silks that are on the stalk below. So the silks are the female part of the plant. So tassels are the male part, silks are the female part. Typically tassels appear first and then the silks appear shortly after. In large fields, wind and flying insects are usually enough to transmit pollen from the tassel to the silks because there are hundreds or thousands of corn stalks out there in that field. But when you're a home gardener trying to grow corn, potential for wind pollination is a lot more limited. That's why you need to plant at least three rows of corn that are three stalks wide or four by four, like I mentioned. Not everyone has room for that though. And even if you do have room for that, if your corn is like mine, not everything will grow at the same rate. So you end up needing to pollinate your corn by hand. If that sounds really daunting, you know what? Don't worry about it. It's actually really, really easy. Once you see the silks start to emerge, all you need to do is snap off a tassel at the top of the corn plant and just kind of dust the silks with it. So each silk strand is connected to a potential kernel of corn. And by pollinating it, you're ensuring that the kernel will grow into big, fat, juicy kernels. So it's good to do this kind of like multiple times per plant. There's actually, I did a little study in my own garden, and you can see a picture of this in the sister post for this episode, where I pollinated some corn ears twice. I pollinated some of them once. And then I hand pollinated some of them, not at all. And you can really tell a difference in that picture, which were which. It's actually really astounding. So I encourage you to take a look at that. It's really interesting. And it's a really good argument for why you should be pollinating your corn by hand every chance you get once the silks emerge. Tip number eight would be to prevent earworms. Earworms is probably like the creepiest sounding thing in the world next to like earwigs, just bleh. But they are one of the biggest pests related to growing sweet corn. And they're about as fun to get in your corn as they are to think about. Although corn leaf aphids aren't fun either. Corn earworm moths lay eggs on silks in sometime in June and the larva what happens what they do is they munch their way down the corn silks and into the corn ear and as the worms mature they feed on the growing ears of corn so a lot of times you won't even know you have them until you go and you harvest that corn and you pull the, the sheath back and you're like gross this whole thing has been eaten from the inside by an earworm so 
I'm committed to organic gardening. The way I control earworms is through the use of mineral oil. I rub it on just where the silks meet the corn ear, just at the very top, and it, it will suffocate the larva. You can also, I've read, use a clothespin to pin the ear closed, kind of keeping the larva from gaining entry. I haven't personally done that, but it's definitely something, it's another organic form of pest control for earworms that you could try. You can also try covering the corn with a super lightweight garden fabric, though this can be a challenge depending on the height of your corn. I mean, you would have to sort of tent it over the entire patch of corn and you would really only want to do it after you've made sure that all of the ears all of the silks have been pollinated because once you cover the corn with that garden fabric it's not going to be as easily wind pollinated number nine we're almost to the end here guys this is turning into a little bit longer episode and i apologize because i try to keep them a lot shorter than this but number nine is to harvest sweet corn as soon as it's ripe. Corn is best eaten when it is just ripened. If you leave it on the stalk too long, all the sugars in the sweet corn will start to convert to starch, right? Those seeds will start storing up starch in preparation for becoming next year's corn seed. So you want to make sure that you harvest your corn as soon as it's ripe. Either pick it and eat it that night, or you can pick it and put it in the freezer, and that will stop the sugar to starch conversion right in its tracks. Another good thing about harvesting corn as soon as it's ripe is it deters pests. So last year I grew a super sweet variety of corn in my garden and it was so sweet that you could smell when the corn silks emerged. It was just beautiful and fragrant and it smelled like fresh corn mixed in with like a little bit of grass. It was so lovely. In fact, it smelled so very lovely that it attracted raccoons. And the funny thing is, is that raccoons don't even really like corn that much, but they will still pick it, pull it, honestly, very roughly off of the stalk, peel the corn ear apart, take a few bites, and then throw it in the dirt. And oh my gosh, talk about frustrating. That is just maddening. So make sure that you're harvesting your corn as soon as it's ripe. If you're not sure it's ripe, so there's a couple things you can do. Ears are ready to be picked when the silks are brown and the top of the ear, if you kind of feel it with your fingers and the, the palm of your hand, the top of the ear feels rounded rather than pointy. If you're still not sure, you can gently peel back the husk and the kernel should look plump. You can kind of take a fingernail and try to puncture one. It should be juicy. So juice would come out when you puncture it with a fingernail. If it's not juicy yet, it's probably not ready to be harvested. Not all ears might ripen at the same time though. So don't feel like you have to harvest them all at once. You can definitely kind of use your senses, use your sense of touch, feel each one, and sort of just harvest the ones that totally ready. And like I said, either eat them right away. My favorite thing to do is parboil them and then grill them really quick just to get that smoky grill flavor. Or you can kind of chop the corn kernels off the ears and freeze them. Kind of spread them out over a cookie sheet that's lined with parchment paper and stick them in the freezer and they will be frozen solid in like an hour. And then you can kind of bag them after that. 
last tip, and this is specifically for popcorn. So if you're not growing popcorn, feel free to ignore this. But if you're interested in growing popcorn, unlike sweet corn, you actually want to let popcorn dry on the stalk. Warm fall days are great for this, but unfortunately, a lot of times when you leave popcorn out to dry on the stock, birds and animals can start to get at it. So one of the things you can do to keep animals from getting at your popcorn as it's drying is you can loosely tie a paper sack, like a lunch sack sized paper sack over the ears of corn. Do not use a plastic bag for this purpose. It's gonna trap the humidity and encourage mold and you definitely don't want that to happen. If your ears of popcorn get moldy, uh, do not eat them, absolutely do not eat them, even if you're able to dry them out fully after that. That's bad, at that point it is food for the birds. It needs something that breathes and will dry to cover it. If your fall weather is particularly rainy, Go ahead and cut down the popcorn stalks and just let them dry inside. Otherwise, again, it'll mold or it'll try to sprout on the stalk. This has happened to me before and I was not a happy camper. It's like a whole, you know, half of a growing season anyway of popcorn in, in a bed just gone to waste. So... After the corn seems dry, after the popcorn seems dry, cut the ears off and then let the ears dry at least another month inside, even longer if you couldn't leave it out because of rain or pests getting to it. Popcorn has to be completely dry in order to pop, so the longer you can leave it to dry before you try to use it, the better. So those are all of my corn growing tips. Like I said, sorry this episode went a little long, but like I said, also, I've learned so much about growing corn over the years. And and I find each one of these tips has been very beneficial to me to learn as I've gone along. As always, thank you so very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Next episode, I am going to be talking about growing strawberries. So if you just planted a whole bunch of strawberry plants this year, even by the time the episode airs, you will still have time to go out and buy strawberry plants and plant them and you can benefit from the advice I have on tap for next episode. Until next time, thank you so very much for listening, like always, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.